When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornborough, and I'm joined today by Rachel Hester. And um, we're going to talk about something I don't think we've ever talked about on this podcast before, and that's dairy sheep. Uh, how are you doing, Rachel? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Uh, I'm glad to have you on today. And um, yeah, this is a this is a new topic for me because, you know, talk about sheep sometimes. We talk about goats. We talk about cows. We talk about things, but I don't think we ever specifically talked about dairy sheep. And I definitely want to hear how you got into uh, focused on that. But before we get into that, even just, I'd like to hear your story about what got you into homesteading in the first place. Sure. Well, um, my husband's grandpa has a farm in Alabama. Uh, he has about 40 acres. He has baldy cows. So, so Kyle grew up going to grandpa's farm and, and um, working cows. So he always wanted to have a small acreage with some cows like Pap. Um, and my homestead in South Dakota for a very short amount of time, it was not an enjoyable experience. And I was like, I'm never doing agriculture again. So um, when we got married, my husband was like, well, we're going to have a delightful little farm. And I was like, okay, I'm trusting you. Um, but I didn't want to do like you know, row crops or like a, you know, a typical farm per se. I was like, you know, if we're going to do this, it has to be pretty. It has to look nice. I mean, we can't have brown chickens. We need like, you know, parakeet <laughs> chickens or whatever. Um, and we were really planning on this not happening until we, you know, he was retired and this was like our, our hobby type thing. Um, but he donated some bone marrow right after we were married and it, it actually destroyed his health. So mm. Very long story short, I ended up going to school for nutritional therapy just so I would know how to support his health. And in the process of that, I learned about, you know, our, our broken food supply and sourcing your food and, you know, the importance of how your meat and your vegetables are raised and how that affects our health on a daily basis. Um, I learned about Joel Salatin for the first time. So uh, I, I went and checked some of his books out of our local library. And I remember the night I, I said to my husband, you got to listen to this. And I read him an excerpt out of uh, the sheer ecstasy of being a lunatic farmer. <laughs> and Kyle looked at me and he's like, could farm like that. And I said, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind doing it like like this. I mean, he talks about earthworms dancing. I can get behind earthworms dancing. <laughs> so um, we... Yeah, we had been we've been talking about getting a home, uh, our first house at that point and he's like well, we'll just get like an acre or two and we'll just you know get a couple chickens and you can have a big garden and we'll we'll go from there and we ended up getting a foreclosure with eight and a half acres and um you know we got the entry-level drug livestock chickens and mm. um then I added some ducks because I like cooking with duck eggs and then we had to have guard geese because vultures kept getting our ducks and chickens and we had some beehives. And then, um, we were looking at goats because if you homestead, you get goats. 
I don't know why you just do. Um, but that you was in get, 2020. You get them and then they get yeah. out and then, then you change your mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's like that's level two with the homesteading world. It's level one is the chickens and level two is the goats. It, it's, it seems like how it goes. And then level three is you get rid of the goats and you try something else. Um, but our starter flock ended up dissolving into the ether with all the lockdowns in 2020. So um, when other people were panic buying toilet paper and spaghetti noodles, I went and panic bought to sheep because mm-hmm. we're in Kentucky and everyone deer hunts. And I was like, well, we've got, we've got eggs. We've got Amish friends who love us. So surely they'll keep giving us milk, but we don't have red meat. So if we get sheep, then have meat we could get milk if we need to from them and we'll have yarn we'll, we'll have wool and I, I, I knit so we'll have clothing um so i mean i'm looking at the rationale probably wasn't the best in the world but it was 2020 we were all panicking so um we got these two sheep and um we had them for a couple of months and my husband was like you know i actually i i think i like sheep better than i think i'd like goats and I, that, that was fine with me because like I said, I spin and I knit and I was like, okay, well I'll get some more sheep. So by the end of the year, we had eight sheep and we bred all of them. And that spring I started milking all of them. And I mean, they weren't, some of them were dairy breeds, but most of them were non-dairy breeds um, just because we didn't have access to the ones you're quote supposed to milk. Mm-hmm. And um, so we just, we just started milking them that spring. And, you know, we noticed that some of the some of the sheep had more butter fat and some had less butter fat, but larger content. And some were more cooperative to bean milk. Some others were less cooperative to bean milk. But I mean, at the end of the day, we got milk from all of them. And um, I didn't think I was doing anything super special. I was just, you know, stuck at home and bored and wanted milk. And um, as I started talking to people and telling them what I was doing, they were like, that's, that's really cool. Okay. <laughs> Who told you you could do this? And I was like, well, I mean, when I was on the mission field in Eastern Europe, they just always had sheep milk cheese. And I figured you had to have a sheep to have sheep milk to have sheep milk cheese. So I figured I'd try it. And um, apparently that's a popular life choice on my part. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the progression of events. Yeah. So, well, anyway, you've written a book on, on the guide to homestead dairy sheep. So you know quite a bit about it. You've been doing it now. You've really dove into it. It's something you're, you're really, um, you're into now <laughs> really big. Um, yeah. so you had all these sheep, which ones were actually considered dairy sheep and which ones aren't. So the main dairy breeds are East Frisian, Awasi, Clune Forest, Asaph, Lacone. And those are the genetics pretty much available in the United States. Okay. And then if you, Going to Canada, they've got British milk sheep as well. Um, and then, you know, if you go into Europe, there's a ton more breeds. So they're they're considered dairy breeds because their lactation is longer. Their disposition is much more friendly to humans. Um, they have larger udders. They have longer teats. Um, they don't uh, dry up their milk as quickly when you take the lambs off of them. Okay. So they're, they're just more, you know, it's, it's kind of like the difference between an Angus cow and a Jersey cow. Like they just have been kind of bred for different things. Um, but you, I mean, you can milk an Angus cow. It just, you may not enjoy the experience as much as if you milked a right. Jersey. So, um, so then the other breeds I have are more wool breeds. So, mm-hmm. um, with a dairy sheep, they'll put, when they eat protein, 
they tend to put that protein into their milk supply. So their wool is considered less fine versus a wool breed. Like they put their protein into their hair. So they produce less milk. Okay. Okay. Well, what are, why choose sheep for milk? I mean, it, you can go cows or goats. You like, you didn't really like goats. I get that. But what, what made you go with sheep for the milk? Is there, a, <laughs> yeah. is there an advantage to, to sheep milk that you prefer? Is there something about it you like better? Yeah. So I, like I said, I, I'd eaten the sheep milk cheese over season in Romania. Um, and I, I really liked the taste. It was sweeter. It was nuttier. It was creamier. Um, and we had switched to raw milk several years ago. Um, you know, organic A2A2 Jersey, you know, all the, all the buzzwords Mm -hmm. and that did address some health issues while our our cow herd share dried up and we had to switch to a goat herd share just to get raw milk at that time. Um, and we just noticed on the goat milk, we had more health issues clear up on the goat milk. The problem was there was no butter fat in that goat milk. Like it, it felt like we were drinking skim milk. Um, now I know some people are like, well, you just get some, Nigerian dwarf milk and add it into the larger breed of goat milk, but we didn't have any at the time. We didn't have, we didn't have access to that at the time. So it was just really, really thin kind of watery milk compared to the Jersey milk we were used to. And we just wanted more of that fat content for, our, for taste preferences. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, once, once goat milk gets older, or if you don't process it just right, then it just tastes really goaty and we just didn't enjoy that. So it, I was looking at the sheet milk mainly for prefer- preferences of, you know, taste and texture and that kind of stuff. Um, but then once I started doing research for the book, because people kept asking me like, okay, well, what's, what's the difference besides taste? What's the difference between besides fat content? Like, is there a difference? Like there's gotta be, cause they're, they're two different species. And um, so I started doing some homework on it and there's actually some like molecular differences between goat milk and sheep milk and cow milk. Um, and sheep milk actually ends up being the most healthier of the three milks. Um, okay. it just has a much higher mineral content, a much higher fat content, much higher protein content. The B con- B vitamin content is out the wazoo. So, I mean, if you look at it from a nutritional profile, it actually is a really healing food. Okay. Yeah. Comparably how, how much, uh, milk do you get? out of a sheep compared to a goat is it pretty close to a goat about the same maybe um well it kind of it depends on the breed because i know some goats you can get a gallon a day yeah i'm talking i'm talking about the dairy breeds you know like a nigerian or something yeah well how much do you get out of the sheep yeah so with the east frisian who's been really 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 selectively bred for milk production and you've got them on corn and soy an east frisian can give a gallon a day okay and you really got to baby those. Um, I personally don't want all the high maintenance of babying them to get that much. So I get more like a quart a day, mm-hmm. but I'm not feeding mine any corn and soy just because I can't digest it. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So if you had a small, a small flock, you could, you could have a decent amount of milk every day then. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you had, I know some people, they have like two or three East Frisians and I mean, that's, that's all the milk that they need for their family. Sure. With, with just, Oh, that's yeah. What kind of, what is the uh, maintenance like on these though? I mean, it's gotta be higher than a goat. I mean, it, it just with all the hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah, I mean, sharing intimidates quite a few people, which I, just makes me sad because I, I love wool. Like I love I love wearing it. I love working with it. Um, so you do have to shear the sheep, um, which it, it's not as hard as people think. I mean, I've, I've literally just grabbed some kitchen shears and thrown my sheep in the milking stanchion and just started snipping. Mm. Um, I mean, it didn't look wonderful, but the hair was off the sheep or the wool was off the sheep and I could spin it. And that's really all I cared about at the time. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you've got, you have to shear them at least once a year. You don't have to do that with goats. Um, the sheep are actually more parasite resistant than goats are. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, goat herders will tell you they're, they're constantly battling, you know, barber pole worm or other parasite issues. And and you do have that with sheep. I mean, definitely more than you do with cows, but it's not as bad as with goats. So, um, goats tend to want more browse in their diet, you know, like the leafy woody stuff than mm-hmm. sheep do. Sheep can't do quite a bit more pasture than goats can. Um, so it, it kind of makes some people raise their eyebrows. Cause I, they're like, was well, your, are your sheep a hundred percent grass fed? And I'm like, okay, well, Cows are supposed to be a hundred percent grass fed sheep do need some leaves and twigs and other things besides just grass. So no, <laughs> they're not a hundred percent grass fed, but, um, yeah, so you've got, you've got the wool, you've got parasite management. Um, you know, lambing is notorious for being high maintenance as well, which I just made sure to get really healthy stock. Like I, I got sheep that I asked the previous owners, you know, how, how much help did they need during lambing? What were any issues you had? And from my ex- experience, if you've got sheep with good genetics and you're giving them the nutrition they need, lambing isn't the nightmare it's purported to be. Okay. I, I remember watching, um, it's one of them BBC shows. I think it was like the Victorian farm or something like that. And they were, yeah. they were lambing sheep on there. And that looked like, uh, it looked like some, uh, it looked like they needed a lot of help. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know. I've got a friend in Scotland and every lambing, I mean, she's got, I think, 1500 sheep, though. She's She's got quite a few more than I do. But yeah, every year she's got, she's up to her elbows inside a sheep pulling lambs out. And I'm like, cool. Yeah, <laughs> Does not yeah. seem super. I, like I said, I don't do that with my girls, but then I was really particular about the mothering genetics that I got. And the other thing is I do not breed my ewes their first year. Okay. Um, mm. Sheep take two years to mature. And, you know, it's, it's if you want to start a fight amongst shepherds, ask if you wait one or two years to breed your sheep. Um, I mean, I don't particularly care what you decide to do on your farm, but for me, I wait two years to breed them. And that makes sure that you is fully grown. So it's easier for her to lamb and you don't have as many lambing problems. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, so they don't, they're not as prone to, to parasites and things. They're, they're, I mean, it doesn't sound like the, the maintenance is, you know, I mean, I, obviously it's probably a little more work than a goat. I mean, goats are kind of independent and doing their own thing out there, you know, but cows I think require quite a bit too, you know, uh, it sounds like it's not, it sounds like a good choice for folks that could get the the dual benefits of the wool and the, and the milk. Yeah. I mean, you know, wool's such an undervalued product right now in our culture, especially with the invention of synthetic fabrics. But to be honest, since we switched to wool outerwear in the winter, we get sick less because wool has antimicrobial and antiviral properties. 
Um, it wicks away your moisture. So if you're outside and you're, you know, loading feed sacks and get all sweaty, you don't tend to get overheated and chilled like you do with synthetic fabrics because the wool wicks the moisture away and it evaporates. So, um, you know, if nothing else, if you have wool sheep and you share them and you don't know what to do with the wool, if you mulch your garden with the wool, they're doing studies right now on how much healthier plants are when they're mulched with wool. Um, mm-hmm. I have a friend in New Mexico who's able to grow tender plants that don't grow there because she mulches with wool. Um, and it, it keeps the moisture in. And conversely, my friend in Scotland can grow plants that typically won't grow that far north because of the cold and it's mulched with wool and it's just fine. Yeah, I've heard of folks breaking it down in compost and makes a good compost additive too. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. Now you're you're down in Kentucky, uh, so I mean you have the the weather fluctuation. I mean, do they? What's the? How do sheep handle the temperatures? I mean, cold, hot. I mean, I would think they handle the cold better than the heat, but I don't know that for a fact. How do they do? So they handle cold very well. They handle wet very well. They just can't do cold, wet, and windy. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, we do have. We have uh, three-sided shelters that we move with their paddocks um, that they can go into if they want to get out of the weather. Um, Again, like from where I've owned goats before, goats seem to think they're so sweet. If they get wet, they'll just melt. Um, (laughs) Sheep don't. Sheep don't have that problem. In fact, some days I'm like, I wish you'd get out of the weather. You look terrible. Um, But... They, they do like, I have some Icelandic genes in my flock and the Icelandic girls kind of struggle when it's super hot, like the dog days of summer Then the, the Icelandic girls tend to, I mean, they pant, they try to find shade. They kind of seem to struggle. Their milk production goes down a little bit. Um, but that's, you know, that's, I, I feel beaten down in summer at that yeah. point too. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, if, if you shear them in the spring, they tend to do pretty well in the summer. Again, if you're getting hardier breeds um so like i said i don't i i've gotten more heritage breeds in my flock or i was particular about um genetics that could withstand some stress but for the most part i mean the the weather is not what will cause you problems in your flock okay yeah i was just curious i mean i know every animal has their you know, their level of hardiness. And uh, I figured sheep have some things they're, they struggle with and some things they don't. And is there anything that they're extremely, that that notably well adapted to, or or things that, you know, that you really have to to caution against with sheep? I mean, the main thing that is a struggle for shepherds is parasites. Like that's, if you go onto the forums and online sites for shepherds to talk, that's the main thing that everyone's going to be chatting about is parasites. Um, now you can manage them a couple different ways. Of course, there's rotational grazing, there's supplemental feed of, you know, herbs or you can worm them, that kind of thing. But I mean, if you're going to own sheep, you need to, you need to do your homework on parasites because you're going to have them at some point and you will lose animals. If you don't know what, if you don't know to be aware to check them and stuff. Um, but as far as what they're really well adapted to, I mean, like in Kentucky, I, I think it's like Tennessee. I mean, we've got pretty much everything except ocean and desert here. <laughs> like we've got mountains, we've got plains, we've got forests, we've got, you know, all kinds of different topographies and and they can thrive in pretty much any of those. Um, if, you know, you, you make sure they've got water and food and stuff. So, you know, sheep have historically been used to improve pastures. They'll eat things that cows don't 
So, and they're, they're smaller, they're easier for, you know, I'm five, six. So I feel very comfortable walking into a whole group of them versus when we went to go get our Jersey, there was a whole, you know, herd of cows. And I was like, I, I could die real easy right now. <laughs> Cause they smaller just animals are a lot less prone to hurt you. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Um, one, the one thing I hear in kind of opposition to sheep that I've heard a few times from people is fly strike. Is that something you've had an issue with or had issues with, or is that really a big problem that it was just get blown out of proportion or how's that go? You know, I have not had an issue with fly strike. I don't know if I'm just lucky or if I'm in the wrong part of the world. I know in the shepherds that I follow in Australia and the UK, they really have an issue with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So fly strike is basically where flesh-eating flies will lay their eggs on the sheep's skin and the maggots start essentially eating the sheep alive, which is yeah. really disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um I, I haven't had an issue with that. I, I have a multi-species farm. So, I mean, I've got chickens running everywhere. I don't see a lot of ticks on my sheep either. Um, I do know if you have a sheep who is healthier, so their skin is healthier, like they're not, their their poop is the way it should be. It's not all clumpy and moist mm-hmm. and, you know, making a nasty swampy environment, you know, then, then you're less prone to it. Um but I haven't had any experience with that. So Lord willing, okay. I won't. <laughs> yeah, maybe, disgusting. yeah, maybe it's so. not a big deal. Maybe it's just, it is for some, uh, I think when it happens, it's probably so bad to deal with that. It just makes such an impact that people just want to talk about it. You know, maybe. It oh, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's very memorable. Kind of sheep with fly strike. It is you, you'd never forget that. Now I will say my flock, I have 20 sheep. We're on eight and a half acres. So, I mean, I'm looking at my flock on a daily basis. So if you're, you know, with my friends on rangeland in Australia and in Scotland, I mean, where they have hundreds, if not thousands of sheep, I think it's also a statistically more likely for them to have an issue just because they have a large population, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, they're not looking at every sheep every single day to see if there's an issue just because, you know, there's, they're covering more land They're They've got more sheep. So um, you know, if I saw something weird with my sheep's skin, I'm going to catch it within a few days and I'm going to take care of it versus if they're out grazing on the moors or whatever, like if they come in, it, there could be a problem that started weeks ago and I could just now find out about it. So that, that's another part of it too. Yeah. I think that's like that with a, it's, it's a, I think it's an advantage, small homesteaders, you know, put folks with just a variety of animals, but not a, a herd or a gigantic flock of things. You, when you can get out there every day and you can pay attention to your animals and you can see what's happening, things don't get out of hand. Even if something does happen, you're able to get on it really quick and take care of it. And I think that is an advantage uh, homesteaders have over large farms um, that, you know, exactly. we, we're able to get our hands on them every day and really look at things. And you know, on any animal you have, I think that's yeah. an issue. I mean, I have rabbits and, you know, if you're not looking at them every day, ear mites or something can take over and you can, you know, have a big problem with that, mm-hmm. you know, just anything like that. It can get out of yeah. blown out of proportion if you let it get, if you're not keeping an eye out for it. 
Yeah. And I think that's a good delineation too, is if, you know, there's a difference between a farmer who's got, you know, they're, they're focused on producing larger amounts for a larger group of people versus a homesteader that's focused on producing smaller amounts for a smaller group of people, mainly themselves. You can, you can get away with and do more almost when it's on a smaller scale, just because you can put your hands on things more consistently versus if it's, you know, a, I I wouldn't necessarily recommend Joel Salatin raise dairy sheep just because he's trying to produce so much for so many people. Right. It, it's different than if it's, you know, my Mennonite friends who've got a small herd of dairy sheep. They're trying to produce artisanal cheese for like two stores. So mm-hmm. big difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just different. It's not, no, no one's not better than the other. They're just different. So. Right. Absolutely. Well, now we've, we've pointed out one, you know, big advantage. I think it's probably a, an advantage. You tell me if I'm wrong, is that one of the things that goats are notorious for is getting out. I know I was raised <laughs> with goats. We had goats and it seems like we was always chasing them things down. Uh, is that oh, a problem yeah. at all? Is that a problem at all with sheep? Okay. So I have had sheep escape their fence for three reasons. Um, the one is that we were just, we were busy and we hadn't moved their paddock. So they decided to become free range sheep because they just wanted food. So once we moved the paddock, got gave them fresh grass, they did not challenge the fence. Um, the other reason I've had a sheep escape a fence is because she was in heat and she wanted a man now. <laughs> and she went and found one. <laughs> um, so she did not think my breeding plan was good enough for her. Thank you. Um, and then the other reason the sheep escaped was she was a new you. We were trying to do the, you know, the right thing and quarantine her for biosecurity reasons and blah, blah, blah. And she said that was not necessary. She was not a biohazard and she jumped the fence and made it to the rest of the flock. And after that, she was fine. So they, you know, as long as they're not hungry, lonely, or in heat, they don't really challenge the fences at all. Yeah. So you don't need much of a fence necessarily to keep a man, but I'm sure even if, I'm I'm sure if you had like a goat can get out of a decent fence, a sheep probably couldn't, I would I would guess. No, I mean I'll I will say like my I have two kinds of sheep. I have dairy breed sheep and then I have a critically endangered heritage breed called Gulf Coast Native. Um mm. and, and we joke the Gulf Coast natives do kind of think they're goats. So <laughs> They, they tend to climb a little bit more than the, the other sheep don't climb. You know, they might stand on their back legs sometimes on the Gulf Coast. I mean, they'll they'll open trash cans. They'll open latches. They'll kind of climb over pallets if they feel like they need to. So they they kind of remind me how blessed I am that sheep are not goats when they feel it. <laughs> Life interesting, but you know, if that that's more the feral breeds where they just have that survival creative instinct still so intact um the dairy ewes who have been genetically bred to be friendly and content and happy and <laughs> stay where they're put um typically don't don't do that unless they, like, like, they like their hooves on the ground huh yeah they like their hooves <laughs> on the ground they like to be spoiled they know what makes mom mad so when mom's happy they get treats so that's what they're focused on <laughs> well they can be trained all right that's good information to have then yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. well good yeah uh, well i mean that sounds like sheep are, are I mean, are great. It sounds like they're great for you. I mean, it sounds like they'd be great for a lot of people. Who should maybe get a, a sheep on their homestead? Who would who would be good be a good fit for? So we, like I said, we got into the sheep um, for taste, but people with food sensitivities. I, I have a friend in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and she got her dairy sheep because she couldn't um, 
she couldn't digest any milk products. She couldn't mm. do goat milk. She couldn't do cow milk. She couldn't do anything, but she could do the sheep milk. So there's a lot of nutritional, you know, chemistry reasons why sheep milk can be digested by a lot more people who can't do the cow and goat milk. Um, so that would be the first person is someone who, who wants dairy, but can't do typical dairy. Um, you know, someone who wants just like a nice small amount of milk for cheese making, um, you know, cause sheep don't lactate year round, like a cow or a goat. Well, they only lactate for six to eight months. So you do kind of get a breather for a few months if you want it. Um, you know, so someone who just wants to make manchango cheese, for example, you know, have one or two or have a couple of sheep just to make a small amount of artisanal cheese. That would be a good person for sheep. Um, kids are really good shepherds, um, you know, the, and the ewes are really kid friendly and docile. And then there's the whole mutton busting dynamic that comes into play. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, but I, I think everyone should have sheep, but I know that some <laughs> people don't. <laughs> yeah, probably. I'm, I'm assuming there's some people it wouldn't be a good fit for, but yeah, it sounds like they no, are. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will take the back. There's, there's a couple people who have tried sheep and I'm like, nah, I think cows are your speed. I don't think you need sheep just because, because they do kind of, I mean, you have to kind of turn into a shepherd in order to have sheep. And by that, mm -hmm. I mean, like you have, you know, I will sometimes fall asleep thinking about issues in my flock. I'll wake up, you know, you, you do have to kind of embrace some sleeplessness sometimes because the flock will need you. Um, you know, they're not a set it and forget it livestock. Okay. So, okay. uh, you have to be hands-on, uh, you have to kind of be empathetic. So, I mean, you know, not that they're running your life, but you do have to be docile to their needs. Um, so, you know, if you, if you want to have a really strict schedule in which nothing changes what you want to do for tonight, maybe don't do sheep because they do require, um, last minute plans changing. If, you know, you comes up with some kind of issue, you, you're, you need to stay and take care of her because if you don't, the flock kind of pays attention to that. Like they know who loves them and cares for them. Um, the studies that I was researching said that the flock will actually see the shepherd as the head sheep. They don't consider you a different species. They consider you the head sheep. So, um, which I just thought was really interesting. Like they do yeah, build yeah. kind of a relationship and a trust with their shepherd. Yeah, I mean, we just yeah, read, I mean, read stories it, it, throughout it, history of the shepherds being, you know, night and day with the sheep, you know, and taking care of them and then just watching over them and they trust yeah. them and they go with them. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's a, it's, you know, historically that's, that is the way it's been. And I think it, like you mentioned earlier, it's just kind of been bred into them over the, you know, the centuries that it's just mm -hmm. kind of what, how they function. Yeah. And in medieval era, um, they actually buried shepherds with a tuft of wool in their hand as a symbol to the community that, this was a shepherd, so they were excused from attending church, <laughs> but to the same, like they were excused from the same standards as everyone else was because they were shepherds, and everyone just knew, like, mm -hmm. if they don't show up to church, there's a reason for it. Which they have a job to do. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And which I've tried to explain that to my pastor during lambing season. He's like, "No, we're not doing that." I'm like, yeah, "Okay." Well, <laughs> well, I think a lot of animals, you know, will require 
you know, they'll all surprise you. I mean, there's going to be a time when a fence goes down, you know, you're going to need to repair a fence or, you know, something's going to break or you're just going to have to tend. It's just homestead life, really. I mean, there's just times like that, but animals, you know, all animals, but it sounds like sheep definitely, um, like you said, through lambing season. And there's special times where they probably do need a little bit more hands on them than some other livestock you might have. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, like we have pigs and we have um, a cow and that kind of stuff. And it's, it, it's just kind of interesting. Like the cow doesn't look me in the eye when someone she doesn't know walks on the farm. Um, <laughs> you know, like the pigs aren't looking to me for reassurance if they hear a dog barking. So, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, all, all animals need stewarded and they need, you know, cared for and they need their their nature respected. But the, the sheep and the shepherd do have just a different if you, if you're like, no, I'm just gonna, you know, do what the book says and then not really get emotionally involved. It's like, well, maybe, maybe don't do sheep because they are the most delightful, wonderfully fulfilling heartbreak you're ever going to have. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess I should ask you this earlier about when, when it comes to, to milking them, but like you, obviously you have to breed them and then they start producing milk and right. um, how long, how long will they generally go in producing milk? Uh, between six and eight months. Um, if you go to Europe, you can you can get some that are like 10 to 12 months, but mm -hmm. I don't think we have those genetics in the States at this point. Okay. So you're maybe breeding them once a year? and Yes. Um, so you typically breed them in the fall. They do spring lambing and then you milk through the spring, summer, typically dry off around fall and then restart the process. Okay. Interesting. Uh, so you're producing a lot of uh, lambs. Uh, what do you, what do you do with those? Are you just expanding your herd or? or you... Well, we, we were expanding for a minute. Um, we were planning on eating them, but I actually have sold most of them. I, I mean, if we want to eat a show, if we want lamb meat, we kind of have to hide them in a corner <laughs> and, and reserve them for us because we're selling our, we're selling braiding stocks so That's, well right now because dairy yeah. sheep more popular and there's of course the whole home setting tsunami that's you know been taking place the last three years so um yeah we we butchered one this spring and uh we were gonna butcher a ram lamb but then we someone came over and was like no no i want to buy him we're like well okay <laughs> i guess we're not gonna eat him then so, so. so we're so you're asking folks not to reach out to you to buy any lambs because you want some of the you want to be able to eat some <laughs> that's, <laughs> right. that's what you're saying <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was well, curious about that. Yeah. yeah well, I, I, the other thing, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I was just curious about that because I, I didn't know if you were eating them. I didn't know if you were selling them. I didn't know what if you had a business that you were just in the business of, of you know, new creating new flocks for other for other homesteaders. I, I just I know some folks go that route. Yeah, I mean, emotionally, it's easier to sell the the lambs to other people wanting to get started just because the dairy sheep especially are just so dang friendly it's like oh could you just be more hateful please so i can eat you um but i i will say i mean people say that they want hair sheep because they don't like the flavor of a wool sheep um and i found the opposite to be true i would like a wool breed lamb chop any day of the week before a katata and a dorper lamb chop really? um so i mean the, the meat is really good the gulf coast native lamb meat is on the arc of taste um but again i i wouldn't know because people keep buying my lambs um so so well 
I really, I really love that this is basically a, you know, it's a triple purpose animal. I mean, it's, I mean, it can provide meat, it, it provides the wool, it can provide milk. That, that's really neat. I mean, as a permaculture person, I, I, I love this, you know, function stacking, this multiple purposes. I mean, I think that makes for a great animal for the homestead. Yeah. And I mean, their manure is cold. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you can put it directly on your garden and get some much nicer for, yeah. Yeah, and even just like uh, pasture management, they probably work really well for that for the paddocks and just keeping the land really healthy and moving them around and and yeah, getting their uh, manure on the ground and then what you can maybe even add to a garden or compost. That even yeah, that's even better. So yeah, I think that they have multiple purposes. They sound like a great animal, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with small acreages where you really need all the bang for your buck that you can get. Um, like I have some friends in Florida; they have one acre and they have dairy sheep. Okay. That was going to be my next question. Like what kind of, what kind of acres do we need for, for, you know, say a couple of them, what do they require? Just an acre less? Yeah. I think it's uh, the, I think the formula is four sheep to an acre. Really? Wow. It depends on, it depends on, you know, obviously your, your acre, like what's on it and how's your sure food situation. But um, yeah, ballpark is four sheep to an acre. So, I mean, if wow. you, if you just had one acre, you could feasibly have two ewes and a ram and a castrated ram, which is called a weather, because uh, the rams do still need some companionship. So, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, you could very feasibly have a small dairy herd and then you would just butcher or sell off the lambs each year if you had an acre. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of homesteaders in that, in that boat there that could, that, yeah, that are probably listening to this and they're going to be like, okay, that's, that, that's exactly, you know, what I have. And that sounds like that'd be a great animal. Cause it's not enough room for, it isn't enough uh, pasture for, for a cow. And, you know, maybe they just don't want the headache of dealing with, with goats. It sounds like the sheep would just be the perfect animal in that situation. Yeah. I mean, like my friends in Florida, like they're not technically an agricultural land. They're technically zoned in um, residential it's mm-hmm. just it's Florida, so it's weird. <laughs> so you know, everyone's got like <laughs> sorry, really folks big from Florida. Yard we didn't mean that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, I love Florida. Don't get me wrong. I go there every year for vacation. Y'all are great, but your zoning's weird. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's all palmetto. So they their sheep cleared out all the palmetto um, shrub for them, and so now they've got this really beautiful garden area and stuff. And the sheep. Um, are very happy in their in their little corrals. Now they they do have to bring in during their off season just because they don't um you know they don't have the pasture that she prefer when they are lactating and gestating. Um so and that if you if you had wanted sheep on less than an acre on an acre or less, you would probably need to still import some feed in the form of hay or you know alfalfa or something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like the care for them, even if you had small pasture, what the input is what you'd have to bring in could be pretty low uh, as far as what they would require. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would love to hear yeah, about I mean, the book you wrote. Though, quite yeah. a- I'm sorry. Yeah, we are yeah. over each other back and forth. We got a little bit of lag, don't we? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, we just a little bit of lag, but yeah, we can talk about the book for sure. Yeah, yeah. You you wrote this book, the the guide to homestead dairy sheep. Actually, this isn't gonna. We're recording this a couple weeks before it comes out, so actually, I think this is just gonna come out. You can actually pre-order it, but uh, I think this episode's coming out the day before it's gonna. It can be shipped, so that'll be uh, awesome. So uh, okay. you hear this, you be able to people, folks will be able to order it, and um, it'll be sending out right away, pretty much. So uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about you know what made you decide to write a book 
yeah. So, um, it was actually kind of funny cause, um, it, it was Homesteaders of America's fault and Beth Daughtery's fault <laughs> and, and some random person at Homesteaders of America's fault. Um, so we, we had a booth at Homesteaders of America and, uh, we saw Beth Daughtery's little pamphlets on dairy cows and there is no literature right now on the market that's in print for dairy sheep. And there's, there's just not a lot for sheep in general. And being a millennial, you know, I hashtag be the change you want to see. So I was like, well, maybe I should just write something small on dairy sheep, like just, just something really quick, easy over a weekend, whatever. And, um, a friend of mine at Homesteaders of America was giving a workshop on, uh, having wool sheep on the homestead. And during the question and answer time, people kept asking her about dairy with the sheep. And she was like, well, I'm sorry, I, I don't do dairy with my sheep. I can't really speak to that. And they just kept asking her. So finally she looks at me and I look at her and I nod and she goes, okay, go talk to that lady right there. And I have people the rest of the weekend coming and asking me about sheep daring. And I had no idea this was such a hot topic. I mean, I just thought I was that weirdo in Kentucky who'd been to Europe who milked her sheep. I didn't know it was like, you know, this new interest that was hitting the homesteading world. And so I was answering these questions and, you know, people like, okay, well, where do we get more of your information? And I was like, well, go follow me on Instagram. I don't know. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't know I was information to offer. And finally this one guy comes and he's asking me question after question after question. And I'm trying to answer him as best I can. He finally just yells at me. Where's your book? Where's your class? Where's your pamphlet? I need your information. And he just kind of stomps off. And I look at my husband. I'm like, well, shoot, like, should I write a book? And he's like, well, maybe you should, but like, how are we going to distribute it? And like, do we self publish? Do we like, what do we do? And, um, Janet Garman overheard us and said, well, I have the answer to that. I'm starting a publishing company. So, uh, you know, we talked back and forth quite a bit and, you know, she got the the publishing contract all put together and everything like that. So um, it, it was just kind of right place, right time. Everything kind of fell into place. Yeah. And I found out I was pregnant and was like, oh, I guess I'm writing a book and having a baby all in the same year because I'm an overachiever. Kids do not try (laughs) this at home, but it worked out. So we're very thankful. Yeah. Sounds like it's a perfect reason to write a book. I mean, there's a need for it. That's why you wrote the book. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 So, um, so I, I, uh, reached out to lots of my shepherding friends from the Homestead Dairy Sheep forums, and they were all just overjoyed that someone was finally writing a book on dairy sheep. So, um, they were very generous with, you know, sharing how they, and I was actually able to find some really cool research on, you know, the health benefits and nutrition of sheep milk. Um, and then, uh, it was just really cool how it just all kind of came to place. Like I, I really wanted, um, to find information on the Romanian shepherds, uh, since I had, had lived there and tried their cheese, but they're really remote. So like, it, it's incredibly hard to contact them or get interviews or whatever. And, um, I reached out to a photographer and he wrote back and was like, Oh yeah, actually one of my best friends is a Romanian shepherd. I'll just get you some pictures and an interview real fast. And I was like, oh, wow. cool. Okay. Yeah. So it, it just was really cool how, you know, things just kept lining up and I was like, all right, well, Jesus apparently really likes shepherds and sheep milk and wants this to happen because there's no way I could have pulled this off otherwise. 
Well, it sounds like it. Yeah, it sounds like it wasn't a needed uh, uh, piece of content for for you know for homesteaders because it sounds like there is a lot of uh, interest in it. And I and honestly, like you said, there's just nothing really out there. I mean, I've been doing this podcast for I think almost eight years now, and something we've never even talked about, you know, because it's just like people just aren't doing it. But it sounds like a lot of people are wanting to do it, and maybe there are people doing it that we just you know they're kind of quiet and they're not writing books like you. So uh, now we got we're gonna have a resource for right. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's kind of funny. Like I, when I first started homesteading, I I wrote out this like um, profile of each animal species and the people who raise them. So like goat herders are always fun, always looking for adventure, you know, fine with chaos. Um, beekeepers like never agree. They're always, you know, kind of hot tempered if you if you say something about raising bees, like you're, they're always going to be ready for a debate over it. Um, you know, cow herders were just very reassured, kind of immovable stoic people and shepherds were really quiet and didn't say a lot and didn't really trust you. And you don't really know that they're there. Um, which, you know, not insulting anyone from any of those people, uh, those animal <laughs> raising groups. Cause I love all of you, <laughs> but, um, but it, it was just funny when I was trying to learn about sheep, I'd ask questions of shepherds and I, I would, you know, send out these messages and make posts and ask questions and no one would say anything. And I was like, y'all are rude. What is going on? But then once, once they decided I was okay, then it was all fine. We were all best friends. And, um, I, I joke with my one friend with shepherds. It's if you make friends with a shepherd, it's either your family and best friends for life, or you never speak to each other again. Like there is no middle ground. Um, Sounds like it, sheep are the, the perfect animal for introvert homesteaders, people who just kind yes. of like themselves <laughs> and, you know, answer a lot of questions. It sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know what happened with me, though, because I'm not an introvert. So I don't know if you, yeah, you don't know sound that. like it, <laughs> but but all your friends my were. Husband. That's why they weren't wanting to talk about it. Right. Right. My husband is, though. Kyle's definitely an introvert. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I definitely want to. Uh, point people to the book. It sounds like it's just going to be a, 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 a well, you know, needed and uh, a, a great resource for anybody interested in dairy sheep. And even if folks just think they might be wanting to go down that route, sounds like they should maybe get the book and, you know, and see if it just read about it, maybe see if it's the animal that, that they're, they're wanting to pursue. And, and it might just convince them that it is. Um, and I think if this podcast didn't do it, because honestly, if I had the room for it, it sounds like it'd be a great, great animal for me because I mean, I just love, I loved everything I heard about them, really, and then I've had goats in the past, and they have they have their benefits. I mean, no doubt about it. But yeah, there are, there are some yeah. definite challenges there that it sounds like sheep don't have uh, as big of a problem with. And um, right. yeah, I think they're, they sound like a great animal, and it sounds like more homesteaders should should definitely be uh, doing you know raising dairy sheep. I think so. <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah, you're doing you're doing some great great stuff there. Sounds like uh you got a lot of other things going on as well. Um uh, I seen you you talked about chickens and bees and just a lot of other things you're doing. And uh so it sounds like you're you're pretty busy on the homestead. Oh yes, we're never bored. We we kind of sometimes pine for the days in which we were bored. So um, <laughs> Yeah. The homesteading life is we, not not yeah, the boring picked, life. Yeah. No, no, it's not, <laughs> but that's okay. I wouldn't have it any other way. Right. Well, I think unless you have anything else you want to add, I definitely want to point folks to your website, whoopsiedaisyfarm.com. That's an interesting name. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I We didn't think, again, we didn't think we were doing anything special with it, but um, it's that's been a very popular farm name. Yeah, I like um, it. So I'm glad we stumbled. 
Yeah, well, I'll have, have that in the show notes. We'll have the link to your, like I said, they'll be able to pre-order it or it'll be really close to it coming out. So they'll probably be able to get it right away as soon as they order it um, once it uh, once the podcast episode comes out. And uh, yeah, unless you have anything else you'd want to add, we'll wrap up. Is there anything else you want to throw in there? I would just say if you are interested in milking sheep, go for it. Even if you have hair sheep, I, I spoke to several shepherds who milk hair breed sheep. So if you've got Dorpers or St. Croix or Katahdin and you want to try sheep milk, I'd say definitely go for it. Um, sheep have a reputation for being stupid and stubborn. And while they can be stubborn, they definitely are not stupid. So if you want to train them to be milks, you definitely can. That's great advice. And it, yeah, it sounds like, uh, you know, folks maybe just jump in. You know, I think with most animals, you learn, you say you get a book, you watch some YouTube videos, you talk to a couple people and then you just go for it. I mean, the best, the best way to learn is just get started. And, you know, it's like maybe yeah. sometimes, you know, with, especially with livestock, you, it's a little risky. It's nice to have people you can call on and ask questions or have some resources at your fingertips. But also when you put things off and You'll never learn everything by just reading books and, you know, talking. You have to just engage and get in there and and do it. And, yeah, so my advice is to all people, just always just if you're thinking about something, you want to do it, you know, do do a little bit upfront research, but then just get after it and, and do it. True, because the animals don't read the books. No, they'll they'll do different things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Rachel, it's great having you on. And I think you brought some great information. Like I said, it's a subject never talked about, I don't think on this podcast before. So I was, I was uh, excited to talk to you about it uh, when you reached out to me, because I think it was something that was, yeah, I wanted folks to hear about it and, uh, and get your book. And like you said, there's not any other resources you could find out there that are available to to uh, on on dairy sheep. So I think it'll be helpful for folks who are interested in that. And, and trust me, like- I looked, I, I, special ordered a book from India on dairy sheep just because there wasn't anything else available. So, um, well, now you've probably inspired a whole bunch of, uh, uh, dairy sheep farmers out there to want to put some material out. Now there'll probably be a whole bunch of books available. (laughs) Hey, that's fine with me because I love reading. So yeah, me too. Me too. I have a nice little library of homesteading material all around me right now. And I just, I can't get enough. So I'm always reading something, new. even if it's something I'm not doing or don't think I'll ever do. I just love to read about it and learn about it and be able to talk about it with folks, you know, cause I always, I just think that's fascinating. So yeah, uh, great stuff, Rachel. I appreciate you coming on, talking, talking to us today. And uh, I'll definitely point folks to your book and to your website. So appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me.